Welcome to the Inner Athlete Podcast, where we discuss all things youth athlete development and youth mentoring. Cool. All right. Welcome back to the Inner Athlete Podcast. I have got a special guest here, Mr. Craig Harper. Thanks for coming on board. Hey, buddy. Thanks for having me. Long time. I hope you're well. Yeah, I've been pretty well. Um, just got back from a nice little holiday. And how's things going on your end? Yeah, things are busy. Things are good. I'm um, stumbling towards the end of my PhD and I'm still helping out a few people in the gym and doing a bits and pieces of work with teams and athletes here and there and all the stuff I do, 14 podcasts a week. Kind of, yeah, it's busy, mate. And life is great and I love it. Oh, it's good to hear. Keep him busy and there's a lot of things going for you. Mr. Craig Harper himself is you know, a former mentor of mine. Um, we used to work closely together um, in a previous, uh, previous lifetime. I'm definitely a very influential person in my eyes um, and a very influential person in many eyes, actually, with what you've been doing. If you just want to give us a quick summary of what you've been doing in your world and give us the, the elevator pitch of you know who you are and how your career came to be. My background is in working with also with teams and athletes and individuals. And I set up the first personal training centers in Australia. I, with some, with a friend of mine, I wrote the first accreditation. Um, and so I owned gyms for quarter of a century and I employed over 500 trainers and I've written a bunch of books and I do lots of corporate speaking these days and I still help a few people out with their body. So I'm an exercise scientist by qualification. I'm in my fourth year of a, uh, PhD in uh, neuropsychology, which is interesting. So I kind of, I started out with bodies and I ended up working with <laughs> more broadly the people who live in the bodies. So bodies, mm. anatomy, physiology, biomechanics, power, speed, all that stuff, fascinating. Um, and then I walked through another door trying to figure out the psychology and emotion of all of that stuff. What drives people to, you know, how come some people with, uh, great genetic potential don't really achieve much and some people with less genetic potential and resources and support achieve bloody unbelievable things what's that about so you know whether it's in the physiology performance psychology emotion sociology space i'm just fascinated with uh, i guess broadly speaking i'm fascinated with human potential you know and whether or not that's getting you most the most out of yourself as an athlete or a parent or, or somebody just trying to manage their own health or somebody trying to recover from an addiction or somebody who's trying to uh, achieve some personal goal like climb Everest or become an astronaut or whatever it is. Yeah. I'm, I'm fascinated with human behavior and human performance and human potential. So that's, that's where I'm at these days. Oh, that's cool. It's, it's, it's just fascinating, you know, we can, you know, look in specific areas of human performance, but I think if we don't look at the whole individual, the whole picture, I think yeah. we're going to miss a lot in terms of getting that the best out of best outcomes for the, that person. Well, think about, I mean, think about how much trend of sport and sporting performance doesn't have to do with physiology or skill. Like, of course, physical fitness, all those, you know, speed, blah blah blah, all that stuff crucial but also if you can't manage your mind under pressure you're in trouble if you can't perform under pressure you know then you can't be optimal performer so yeah how do i train my body how do i develop skill how do i develop you know the physiological or or 
maximize the physiological stuff for my chosen sport. But then on top of that, can I execute under pressure? You know, we see in the AFL, you know, people who will kick 50 goals from 50 shots in practice and then miss six out of 10 in a game, Mm. you know, doing the exact same thing under slightly different conditions, you know? So yeah, the mind plays a big role. And, um, you know, when you're working with athletes, or when you're working with anyone, you know, first and foremost, you're working with a human being, being who's a multidimensional, complicated creature, as are you, as am I. Um, so, yeah, trying to being great at sports science and exercise science and understanding all that, you know, the science behind it matters, but understanding people is probably at least on the par, maybe even more important at times. Yeah, I think it kind of that's the part that gets missed it's more the under the surface stuff um as us as coaches really need to kind of find out and tap into you know they might come into you for a, a knee issue that's been bugging them for the last 12 months and yeah you know potentially some sort of psychological brick wall that they can't break through that that's continually holding them back and you as a coach you know you help them dissect and what's actually going on for them in terms of psychological manner, what are the hurdles that they've been facing? How do we help overcome them? And that's where I guess that coaching side or knowing that person um, and being able to start breaking those down is really important to allow that physical manifestation to occur. Yeah. And and also, you know, think about this, like you and I have done lots of training and researching and we've got lots of hands-on experience with thousands of people, but nobody's the same. Like everybody's physically, mentally, emotionally the same. And so we might, I mean, I reckon I've rehabbed 20 people from a knee reco athletes and they all recover differently, Mm. you know, and I've helped, I don't know, thousands of people in inverted commas, get in shape, whatever that means. And the way that people get in shape and the way that they respond to different cues and different instructions and different you know, parameters, it varies in the way that not only their body responds to a certain stimulus, but the way that they navigate the process of getting in shape, running faster jump fire or preparing for a sport or an event, the way that they do that, there's no set protocol. So on top of all of the science that we know, then there's the challenge of individually understanding how this person will, will react to this this protocol or this plan or this stimulus, you know, because like you and I can go and train tonight and eat the same food tonight and you and I can do everything identically for the next week. We're not going to look the same, feel the same, respond the same. Body ain't mine, mine ain't yours. You know, what what is hard for me will be easy for you. What will take me three days to recover from will take you three minutes. Mm. And what will be lunch for me would be a small snack for you, you know, so it's trying to, figure out the individual as well and being able to <clears throat> I think being a good coach is really about having a broad understanding of science and all of the methodologies and protocols but also understanding the individual needs and variability and that people are going to respond differently and you just have to be in tune yeah and assessing what the strengths and weaknesses are speaking to them speaking to their coaches speaking to their parents and see whether or not it's on the same trend or the same path of thinking that you have um then obviously working in a team setting you know you might prescribe a conditioning session it's like you can prescribe the same thing for a ruckman versus a four pocket it's like of course you're not yeah. you're just not going to respond the same yeah um 
Yeah. Oh, I think we've got off on a little tangent. That's good. Um, that's t- yeah. it. Hey, but I was going to say to you, there's another interesting thing that I reckon a lot of coaches um, don't think about much, and this, which is ironic that I say that because so there's an area of psychology called metacognition, which is just thinking about thinking. And it's part of it is understanding how other people think. So if you're a coach or a teacher or a leader in any capacity, and one of your jobs is to download information or inspiration or to coach in any capacity, it's really important that we understand how how the other person thinks so that we can connect. Because sometimes what we think we're giving is direction and instruction and inspiration. And sometimes what they're getting is overwhelm and confusion and attitude because mm. our intentions are not always the other person's experience, you know? Yeah, so- I think that's what I learned out of uni as well. It's like, you know, you, have, you think you've downloaded all this information from your three-year degree and plus your placement and all that jazz and then you go out and you try and implement in the real world and then you're just like, I'm hitting a wall consistently when it comes to coaching. I can't get them to hinge properly or or their squatting mechanics seems to be off or their timing and sequencing and you just give them the same feedback or the same cues that you may have learned at uni that would have responded great to someone who may w- move well, but then you've got to work with someone who's a mortgage broker or something like that. And then and they're just not responding. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and also you might be speaking a language that you and I could go in the gym and bang on and we'd be right in each other's pocket. We get it, right? We speak the same language. But then you use that even though it's accurate, even though it's the it's uh, technically correct, it might be completely meaningless to a person depending on their background or, you know, their level of understanding of what's going on. It's like when, you know, sometimes with one of my mates who you know, the crab Mark, he starts talking to me about cars. Well, I'm not an idiot, but I'm an idiot when we talk about engines, right? So he just starts banging on about what he's doing, and I'm, I've am i got no idea. And everything he's saying is insightful and accurate, but to me, it's just double dutch. I just do not know what's going on. So yeah. I have to keep pausing him or asking questions and make sense to him, but it doesn't make sense to me. And it's the same with, you know, sometimes even talking to people about nutrition or I reckon half the population don't know what a micro or macro is. I mean, they've heard the words, they get that they're bits of food. But if you said, tell me what they are, you know, and that's okay. People aren't expected to know. But but I think there's a lot of real fundamentals around how do we manage a body and how do we keep a body healthy that a lot of people don't really understand the concepts, you know. And then you put in to that situation an expert in inverted commas who speaks the language every day and so with some people they're really going to connect and with us how to talk and how to, how do i build connection with this individual so we can create a good outcome there's a um have you heard of neil degrasse tyson neil degrasse tyson yeah astronomer yeah the astron- um yeah astronomer. he came up um he said a term, and the reason why there's not many rock star scientists is he said they don't speak trucker language, which is I think is gradually changing now. Obviously, with Andrew Huberman um, becoming this, I guess, a rock star in the sports performance space, even Andy Galpin yeah. as well. Um, the yeah. fact that we don't have people who understand this breadth of 
knowledge and have all this experience just don't unable to package it in such a way where it kind of hits a lot of people quite easily and quite quickly so i think that's kind of been i guess the messaging or what's been missing because now people are kind of like picking up little bits of information here and there and they might go might experiment and trial it themselves you know um then yeah that works out and then what else can i do what else can i do it's kind of like the um the carrot that kind of leads them in, into the journey of you know for them to move forward mm. with their health and fitness mm. so i guess as we start to see more people kind of it's not dumbing down it's more making it a digestible form of mm. information that's going to allow people to actually move forward it's like everyone knows not to consume you know seven soft drinks a day it's like all right cool we know that but how do we how do we explain it in such a way where it may create the change for them to move away from it so mm. maybe explaining in such a way how damaging having seven cans of soft drink is a day over a six-month period and then people will start to conceptualize it and when they conceptualize it on themselves they'll be able to start to move forward away from that because then there's like a fear response then you then you can start to create a yeah. potentially a goal away from it 100 yeah i mean and neil degrasse tyson is a great example of a, a brilliant science communicator you know brian cox who's also in that space the british dude he's I went and saw him a few months ago and he's a guy talking about galaxies and uh, the earth and planets and solar systems. And, and I was in a room with like 7,000 people listening to a dude talk about astronomy that I'm not even really into, but he's mm. so bloody amazing. I was into it. Right. So there's a real skill in being able to share science in a way, which is not only understandable, but like really interesting for people. And I think yeah, that's that one of the challenges as a coach as well. Yeah, cool. Um, what I want to talk about today is about uh, children and adolescents and strength training. Now, I know as, you know, as a former fat kid myself and, and for yourself as well, as you've mentioned numerous times before, we, aren't, we both understand, I guess, the upside of strength training um, for adolescents. Um, Kind of give us a bit of the breakdown because, like, how does it really impact adolescents from a physiological standpoint, even potentially from a psychological standpoint, um, if the kids and teens start to get into, you know, strength training? So, I mean, you know, the answers to these questions you're asking me, I'm sure, but just my perspective is like, I started lifting weights at 14 uh, and running like a, a madman at 14 or a mad teenager at 14. So I was doing cardio and strength training. And I mean, I, I trained relatively hard from 14, which back then, and even now some people wouldn't recommend, um, like, you know, there, there's quite a, a not very scientifically substantiated school of thought that lifting weights is bad for teenagers. Well, that, that's firstly, that's ridiculous as a broad claim. It, there are a lot of variables around that. So if you've got a young child, an 8, 9, 10, 11, 12-year-old going in and training maximally and trying to do PBs and 1RMs, and well, of course, that's ridiculous. But it, there, there's, you know, think about a 40-kilo 10-year-old uh, boy or girl climbing a tree. Well, that kid is lifting 40 kilos. That kid is literally lifting their body weight. A kid on monkey bars, a kid... You know, so these kids are used to lifting and moving weight. Um, 
Uh, one of my friends, both of his daughters, you know, Mark, uh, both of his daughters were elite athletes. They're doing things to their body at uh, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, in terms of putting stress on ligaments, tendons, joints, and muscles that far outweigh what virtually anyone is going to do in a gym with some dumbbells and barbells, typically speaking. Um, of course, the way that people train, the intensity, the volume, the recovery, you know, all of those things need to be taken into account and there needs to be a real, you know, a real building of, you know, foundation and there needs to be a an intelligent and uh, strategic progression over time. Um, but it's funny you, because you sent me an email and I went, well, let me just see. So I jumped in and I had a look at some papers. I'm going to give you a quick snapshot. So I found four papers quite quickly. Um, one is called Strength Training in Children and Adolescents, Raising the Bar for Young Athletes. I whipped through to the results. I could share the methodology and the, and the, you know, the whole overview, but I'll go to the results. The findings indicated, and this is a, a paper published in 2010, so it's a few years old now. The findings indicate significant improvements in muscular fitness, strength, endurance, and power, and bone mineral density without any reported injuries or adverse effects. Study concluded that properly designed and supervised strength training programs can be safe and beneficial for children and adolescents. Next one's called Youth Training Updated Position, um, blah, blah, uh, updated position statement paper from the National Strength and Conditioning Association, NSCA, which you know and some of your listeners will know. So the, the study emphasized that properly designed and supervised resistance training program can enhance muscular Blah, blah, blah. It concluded resistance training can be safe and effective when appropriate guidelines followed. Same thing. And um, I'll go to the most recent one I found, which was a couple of years ago. Resistance training in adolescence, issues, concerns, and recommendations. Study concluded that resistance training can be safe and effective for adolescents when supervised by qualified professionals. Highlighted benefits of resistance training, including improved strength, body composition, bone health, and psychological well-being. Um, the study also provided recommendations for appropriate program design, progression and injury prevention. So, you know, it's like, can a kid get injured going for a run? Yes. Can a kid get injured playing tennis? Yes. Can a kid get injured um, lifting weights and doing strength training? Of course, it's about how executed. So, you know, done the right way, you know, under supervision with somebody like you in a controlled environment, uh, with the right level and kind of progression, I actually think it's a positive, not a negative. And the one thing I have seen is it's a net positive than it is than anything else. Keep an eye out on the second installment of our conversation. If you want to stay updated on the latest episodes, make sure to subscribe to Inner Athlete on both YouTube and Spotify.